Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia and 16.50 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. I'm Selena Lord, the VHHA team, and today we're excited to be joined by Delaney Liskey, a PhD student and a biomedical researcher, for a conversation about how childhood medical challenges shaped her journey to becoming a patient scientist, and her advocacy to help more patients develop into similar professional roles. With that, welcome to the podcast, Selene. Thanks for being with us. It's an honor to be here, Selena. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks again for being with us. For the benefit of our listeners, we invited Delaney to join the show after reading an article about her experience as a patient at the Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters, or CHKD, in Norfolk, Virginia, after being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at 11 years old. As frightening as that diagnosis may have been at the time, it inspired you to want to learn more and it seems it ultimately put you on your current path, where you're a part of the inaugural Regenerative Sciences doctoral track at the prestigious Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science. If you would, tell us about that experience and how it perhaps altered the trajectory of your life and pushed you towards your current course of study and a healthcare career path. Absolutely. So like you mentioned, um, I am in the inaugural Regenerative Sciences PhD track at the Mayo Clinic. And I'm excited to tell you, I just started my second year. And regenerative medicine in general is a relatively new field of research where essentially we're shifting the traditional research approach of preventing disease. And instead, we're focusing on promoting repair of damaged tissue. And so I gravitated towards this particular field because I wanted to focus my research on neurodegenerative disease, particularly like you mentioned, for diseases like multiple sclerosis or MS. And this is a disease that affects the brain and the spinal cord, so can obviously lead to some big problems. And even more specifically, I'm interested in restoring vision in patients who have lost it as a result of the disease. And this is because, as you mentioned, I was diagnosed with pediatric onset multiple sclerosis when I was 11 years old. And this is a particularly rare form of this very common disease. In fact, there are less than 10,000 children in the world living with MS. And as a result, I was rendered visually impaired within five years of my diagnosis. So I lost the majority of my eyesight in my left eye when I was 16 years old. And unfortunately, MS is not a simple blood draw um, and is especially not expected to be diagnosed in children, as you can imagine. So essentially, you have to rule almost everything else out to get a diagnosis of MS. And so at the time of my diagnosis, during my very lengthy hospital stay, the doctors would enter my hospital room and discuss with my parents what I had felt had gone well above my fifth grade vocabulary level. And the next thing I know, I would be wheeled away. And so I remember one day um, I had overheard that I needed a lumbar puncture from some doctors. And I didn't know what, <laughs> what those words meant, but I knew that the word puncture didn't sound like something pleasant. All I could really do was cry. And so I was being wheeled away for this procedure. Um, I obviously lost that battle. And on my way there, I swore to myself, never again will I be in this situation where I don't know what's going on and I don't even understand the words. So this was in 2008. 
and my parents had left me with an iPad to pass the time and, and just play games on. Um, but actually what I did was extensively research words that I had overheard in my hospital room. And this all ranged from anecdotal narratives to scientific publications. I was reading it all. And the second thing that I did was I was asking questions to anyone who would enter my hospital room, whether that was nurses, um, kitchen staff, doctors. I always had a question, and I realized that everyone had something to teach me. So not only did I have to develop the critical thinking skills to even be able to ask the questions, but I also had to learn the effective communication skills to have the other person that I was talking to understand. I'll mention after a while, I was starting to astonish everyone with my, my newfound knowledge base. And it was literally getting to the point where medical students actually pull up chairs in my hospital room to have active conversations with me. And so months later now, by the time the doctors came into my room to inform my parents and I of the ultimate diagnosis of pediatric MS, I was fully ready to have this conversation with them. I'll also mention that they told me that I would likely be using a wheelchair by the time I graduated high school. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, this took so much time and effort and brain power and everything to diagnose me. And this was the answer? Where was the second half of this story where we have these amazing medical breakthroughs and innovative reasons that to prevent that from happening? And to me, when I got this diagnosis, maybe, I mean, we can argue the fact that, you know, I was just a kid, but didn't necessarily feel like a dead end of the road. If anything, I was just given the keys for an endless possibility of what we could do with this disease. And by the way, I'm very grateful to tell you that I'm not using a wheelchair and I've actually been doing very well. My backstory with MS and my diagnosis that kickstarted this whole process for me. And I sought out opportunities to research MS in a laboratory setting. And I interviewed at one of the only labs studying MS at the University of Virginia at the time. And I was taught a lot of the laboratory skills and tools in our toolbox available to be able to investigate the disease and, you know, answer our questions in scientific research. Personally, I was able to route the questions that I had as a kid and beyond in a more applicable way now that I learned the skills. And then after graduation, I was awarded an NIH research fellowship to pursue research at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which there, as I'm sure you can imagine, I was part of an, uh, a lab that studied MS. And today I am now a graduate student at Mayo Clinic. I just transferred to the Jacksonville, Florida site. And of course I'm researching MS here. Do you wish you could focus on practicing medicine without all the distractions? Covaris is here to help. As a leader in medical professional liability insurance with more than 45 years experience, Covaris provides insurance protection with data-driven predictive modeling to help you mitigate the risk of claims. By combining insurance protection with risk analytics services, you can reduce distractions and focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Covaris is reinventing what you should expect from your medical professional liability provider. Find out all Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries, Boston, Massachusetts. 
and you briefly touched on this, but let's talk a bit about multiple sclerosis or MS, which is a disease that causes the body's immune system to attack its central nervous system, disrupting signals from the body to the brain, which can impact the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. Experiences with the disease, including severity and duration of symptoms, can vary among the 2.8 million people with the condition worldwide. In your case, and like you mentioned, you had pediatric onset multiple sclerosis, a rare form of the disease, that was discovered after you lost vision in one eye. If you're comfortable, can you tell us a bit about your experience living with and managing a chronic condition? Yeah, for me, um, I felt like the most empowering aspect of, you know, having this diagnosis was learning about it. At the time of my diagnosis, there was not a lot known about MS in the pediatric form. In fact, like I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, there is not out there. So the research is pretty minimal or was pretty minimal. And so I did the best that I could at the time and, you know, on to now um, to understand this disease. And I, and I felt like it was very empowering for me to have an understanding of what was going on. And in addition to your studies and research, we mentioned that your advocacy is focused on cultivating more patient scientists, which is a label you've applied to yourself. You've even done a TED Talk in and shared your experiences and aspirations to encourage other patients to engage in studying their conditions. So with that background, tell us why the involvement and inclusion of the patient scientist perspective is so important. In medical research, all of our pursuits start with a very fundamental question. And this is the first overarching step of everything. It's really the most instrumental aspect. And then from there, we design experiments around this particular question. And with these pursuits, on average, it takes about 12 years to get a potential treatment from laboratory research and clinical trials and everything like that to become available in your medicine cabinet. So in other words, of course, like it's just a really long process and it's, it's very extensive. And despite the tremendous advancements that we've made in understanding of diseases within research, we definitely have a ways to go as there's millions of people suffering with disease. So it's kind of like how I mentioned at the beginning when the doctors essentially gave me that instead of the end kind of road diagnosis and they were like, you will likely be using a wheelchair by the time you're 18. We definitely still have a lot to do. And actually, um, much of the research that is being pursued today is being driven by individuals who have not experienced the diseases themselves. And of course, this is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I, I do want to preface that. But we may be missing the perspective of those that we are striving to help with biomedical research. So in other words, having oversight of potential fundamental questions that those without the disease may not think to ask. And patients are essentially like a walking database. They have exclusive insight as to how a disease affects the body at the individual level. Even within the same disease subgroups themselves, each patient experiences a very unique set of circumstances. And so my humble suggestion to this field, if I may, is that patients coupled with the acquired laboratory skills can develop instrumental questions that are crucial to advancing biomedical research that those without the disease may not think to ask. So really, it's just a suggestion or a compliment to this field, because I think what we're doing right now is, is wonderful, but just a compliment to the field. And on that note, in addition to your studies, you're also the founder of the International Society of Patient Research Scientists to provide a platform to connect people in the patient scientist community. Tell us about that organization and its mission. 
So we are in the super, super early stages of establishing everything, but it's well on its way. I gave this talk a little bit, you know, back in the fall where I was proposing the recruitment and training of patients into the scientific workforce to study their own diseases. And that's because at this rate, there's actually not that many of us that I'm aware of that are, you know, doing our, our patient scientists in the field. We don't have a metric as to, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what diseases are being covered. You know, this is the breadth and the diversity of this particular community of patients in the scientific workforce. We just don't have any sort of metric like that. So I created Inspires as an opportunity for patients to network with one another, but also so that we can track the prevalence and sort of gain a metric in this regard so that we can assess, you know, the needs and the, the contributions of patient scientists in the biomedical workforce. So like I mentioned, it's, it's relatively early in its beginnings, but well on its way. Thank you. And for folks listening that want to learn more about the International Society of Patient Research Scientists, visit www.patientscientist.org. And before we let you go, Delaney, we have a tradition on our podcast to ask our guests a pair of personal questions to give listeners a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. So to keep things interesting, we've got a list of 10 mystery questions. So if you could choose two numbers between 1 and 10, I'll ask you the corresponding questions. Okay. <laughs> How about 3 and 8, please? All right. Number 3, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received and why does it stick with you? I watched a TED talk several years ago now, but it's called Knowing Your Why. And it's about, you know, why you're doing what you're doing. And I think collectively, we can all say, you know, we want to help people, right? I'm in research, I would love to help people. But I think it goes a step beyond that, right? Why do you want to help people? Why are you in the particular field that you're in? You know, because the biomedical discoveries and, and interventions potentially save lives fall on you. So I would say, know your why. I love that. And number eight is tell me one memory from your life that whenever you think of it, it makes you smile. Hmm. I would say that, okay, a moment of my life that makes me smile when I think about it is back when I first was accepted to speak at TEDx Jacksonville. I was always dreaming of giving a TED talk one day, but I always thought I would be, you know, a lot older. And so I think about when I first was accepted into, into the program and just how exciting it was because of the potential to reach so many people and, and make a difference there. That's awesome. I, I thought it was so cool when we were, you know, doing background research for this episode, seeing that you did a TED Talk, because I, I love TED Talks too, so I think that's so cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Delaney Liskey, for joining us today. So thank you. Thank you again, Selena, so much for having me. 